Like if you don't understand why you're struggling, then you accept the answers that other people give you. You accept that it's because you're not trying hard enough, because how are you supposed to know? That's what everybody's telling you, right? You accept those things and being able to make those invisible challenges more visible and putting names to them. I think the most important thing that I've done for myself and for other people with the channel is giving people language for, for what they're dealing with. Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? The members of the ADHD Essentials Facebook community are connecting with each other regularly and posting all sorts of useful resources. If that kind of support is something you need right now, consider joining. Go to facebook.com groups slash ADHD Essentials community to sign up. The link will be in the show notes. Also, I'm almost 200 episodes in, and I don't have nearly enough ratings and reviews on iTunes and similar podcast players. So please go to your podcast player of choice and give us a rating and review. If you appreciate what this show is, if you appreciate this show as a resource, those ratings and reviews are a great way to say thank you to me and to the guests, and it's a great way to support the show and help others find it. I am but a slave to the algorithms. Also, check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, ADHD Diversified with MJ, and the ADHD Friendly Lifestyle with Moira Mabin. There will be a live Q&A on Tuesday, August 10th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, featuring all of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network members. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash events to register. Finally, this episode, like so many others, was edited by Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. Check out IdealVideoStrategies.com to learn more about his work. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Jessica McCabe. Jessica is the creator and host of How To ADHD, the incredibly popular YouTube channel, where she shares her toolbox of ADHD tips techniques, information, and strategies to help us work with our brains rather than against them. This is a wide-ranging interview in which Jessica shares some of the lessons she's learned while working on how to ADHD and goes into some personal experiences she's had with ADHD. She talks about being surprised by just how much of her life was affected by the disorder, how ADHD traits can be a blessing and a curse, how to be successful without being neurotypical, navigating parasocial relationships, the long-term impact of the core beliefs we develop about ourselves growing up, making invisible challenges more visible, and dealing with imposter syndrome. All right, let's get rolling. So I'm Jessica McCabe. I'm the creator and host of the YouTube channel, How to ADHD, which you may have seen Brendan's uh, work on. We did a couple of videos with him about the wall of awful uh, that were really great. And a lot of animation, but um, really helpful. So 
I've been doing this show for about five and a half years now, uh, learning about my brain and teaching other people as well. Yeah. And that's, I can't really say that's why I want to have you on. I want to have you on because you're my friend and I don't get to see you enough. And now I get to like, <laughs> yeah, I get to talk to Jessica. Is this an excuse to hang out? You realize you could have just invited me for coffee. I would have said yes. It's a little bit of an excuse to hang out. And also like you're a big deal in ADHD circles and I wanted to have you on the show at some point. So now is good. I'm really curious to know about your experience with the YouTube channel and sort of how it's affected you, what you've learned from it. Because this is five and a half years of a really significant piece of the ADHD community. Yeah, it's, gosh, I have learned a lot because I started the channel determined to learn about my ADHD and learn strategies that could help and to put everything I learned where I could actually find it again. And the only place that I could think of where I would definitely not lose it was YouTube. Like I could always figure out how to get back to YouTube. So that's why I put things there. And so at the beginning, I was putting out a video every single week. And so every single week I was learning something about ADHD or some sort of strategy. And so if people want to know what I learned, there is how to ADHD, the complete collection. And you can see, you can binge watch literally everything that I've learned about ADHD. I have put in a video, everything. And there were some things that stood out, which I can talk about. There's some things that really, really stuck with me and surprised me. And I think one of the biggest ones is that ADHD affected so much more of my life than I realized. I knew I had ADHD. I was 31 when I started the channel and I was 12 when I was diagnosed. And I knew that I had trouble focusing. And I knew that this medication that I took helped me focus. And I thought that was the end of the story. And everything else was just some sort of personal defect, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have trouble focusing, but also like I'm incredibly messy and flaky and unreliable and disorganized. And all of these things that I, that I took on to myself as judgments of just being a bad person and kept trying to like, not be that way. <laughs> I kept trying to be the kind of person that could keep my car clean or be the kind of person who would show up to places reasonably on time as opposed to like an hour early because I forgot what time it was or five minutes late regularly because <laughs> I had to wait for that like last minute dopamine rush of, oh shoot, it's urgent now to get out the door. All of these things that I thought were my fault, I started reading about in research papers and having described to me from a place of, yeah, this is an impairment that exists in ADHD and we know this. And I'm like, well, why didn't anybody tell me this? I didn't know that. I just thought I was a terrible human. Um, I thought I sucked at adulting. I thought I just was bad at socializing. I thought it was weird and didn't fit in. And then I read these research papers that explain, no, our brains develop differently. And so in a lot of ways, we're a few years behind our peers. And so while our peers have gotten to a certain level of ability in terms of emotional regulation and executive function, we're not quite there yet. And so that's why I got along better with the kids that were younger than me or adults than I did with my peers. Cause I was smart enough to keep up with the adults and I had the emotional maturity level and the self-regulation skills of somebody a couple of grades younger than me. So I did really well with them, but I never felt like I fit in with my peers. And there were times that I sat there and re read this research and I was just in tears because I wish that somebody had told me this stuff. Like it was just so incredible to me what these researchers that had never met me knew about me that I didn't know about me. Yeah. I remember when I read Drew into Distraction, I had like a, an extended anxiety attack, <laughs> like as I was reading it. And then for like a few days afterwards, because it was at once affirming and also like totally overwhelming, just this complete flood of stuff and, and other ADHD pieces too, as I learned things. And, and especially when I was teaching, like 
I would work with students who had ADHD and I got them. I was like, no, nah, that kid's like this. And other teachers would, would judge them and think that they weren't good enough. And the, the quote that drives me the craziest that I always repeat is I would have teachers that I worked with say, how do you just forget to do your homework mm. as though the kid's doing that on purpose? Like they're in, like, you literally can't forget on purpose. That's not a thing. You'll remember it better if you try to forget it. Yeah. There's this sense that, and I, and I get it because ADHD is really hard to understand from the outside because it, it, it does, you know, the actual symptoms that people see are things where if you had a neurotypical brain, it would mean maybe that it was intentional or it would mean all of the judgments that, you know, that people tend to label onto us. But since we have this more like this brain that works differently, that's not what it means, but how are they supposed to know that? So I kind of get, I get it. I get it. But we do grow up with this feeling of I'm bad for struggling. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad student. I'm a bad friend. I'm a bad daughter. All of these things, all of these moral judgments that we put on something that is just in the end, terrible working memory or, you know, poor response inhibition, or these things that we understand now are just, this is how our brains built. And there are ways that that is helpful too. So, you know, every company wants that outside the box thinker. Every company wants that, you know, person who's going to be innovative and driven and have all of this energy and be able to, you know, hyper-focus on this, on this problem until it's resolved. But then they also want that employee to like, show up exactly on time and be reliable and consistent and have the same level of output every day. And it's like, you can't have both <laughs> those, you know, the strengths that we have also, you know, when they land on the, the wrong side of the coin can be these impairments, the same ways that I think people with ADHD are amazing are also the same ways in which they struggle, right? We are so fun to be around. One of the big things I've learned is just connecting with this community. It's so fun because how often have you talked to somebody with ADHD and they're like, Hey, here's a cool fact. Or like, here's something that I've been obsessed with recently that you're just like, that's really freaking cool. Or they, or they're talking a mile a minute or they're super enthusiastic or whatever. And they're just so fun to be around. And at the same time, it's that constant hunt for dopamine that makes it hard for us to actually, you know, stay on track with our goals when our goals are not that exciting. So I think that's one of the big things that I learned is that our traits are traits. And in some situations they get us into trouble and sometimes some serious trouble. Um, but in other situations, they really are an asset. A lot of the things that I learned were just how important it is to have a good fit, both in terms of your environment, your job, your relationships, how much I was trying to cram a square peg into a round hole, essentially, with certain jobs that I tried to take where it's like, well, yeah, of course, I'm not going to be great at a job that requires strong organizational skills when I have trouble with organization. Of course, I'm not going to be good at a job where they want me to stay off the computer when I am so incredibly curious that I now essentially Google for a living, right? Like my brain is built a certain way. And part of being successful with the brain that is built this way is learning and accepting that that's how it works and not trying to make it be something it's not. Because I think for most of my life, I was essentially feeling like I was a broken neurotypical person. Let me just fix myself and then I'll be, you know, normal. Then I'll be neurotypical. Like, but I had this kind of belief, and this might be the most important thing I learned. I had this belief that in order to be successful, I had to be neurotypical because the people that I looked at that were successful looked neurotypical. And now I understand that part of that's masking, right? Like a lot of, there are a lot of ADHDers out there that are, you know, successfully masking and looking neurotypical when they're really not. Yeah, I can look pretty neurotypical. I can look pretty neurotypical when I need to. And 
So we met at the ADHD conference and I want to play with that for a second, because I think a lot of what you're talking about is hiding in, in what the ADHD conference is like for all those of us with ADHD. Oh yeah. Because it, it's that place to fit. It's a place where you don't have to mask. And one of the things I love most about the conference, particularly, I like to watch you. I like to watch Danny, Danny Donovan, um, and like Cameron got for a lot of us, the conversations like can be summed up with just, I'm enthusiastic. Oh, I'm enthusiastic. No, I'm enthusiastic. <laughs> like that's just what everyone's doing. And we're all being enthusiastic about something. And it's usually the same kind of thing, but that's the subtext of like all of these conversations. <laughs> and I love that about the conference. It's so true. There's so much enthusiasm and it feels so good to not have to constantly apologize. Although I think sometimes we do it out of habit to constantly apologize for being excited about something and wanting to talk about it. Um, it's, it's great to not have to feel like, oh, they're going to think I'm a terrible rude person if I interrupt, but like get that comes out of a place of, I have something to share and I want to do it right now. But yeah, that, that was really cool going to the, going to the Chad conference for the first time and being around other people who function the way that I do was such a such a trip. I felt so comfortable. And I think it was the first time I actually felt comfortable with my peers because always before there was just always a sign, you know, this, this sense of like, I don't actually fit here and a kind of an imposter syndrome of like, they're going to find out, they're going to find out I don't belong. Um, Maybe I'm successfully convincing them that I belong temporarily, but I know I don't. And if they look hard enough, they're going to realize I don't. And I didn't have that being around other people with ADHD, which was interesting. It's, it's been cool too. One of the things I like about the conferences is that it only happens once a year. So I only see people once a year, right? In, this, in the bigger ADHD community in person, like over the internet and stuff, but in person and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's been interesting to watch people's growth. Like, obviously I see mine. I went from like some dude at the conference to a guy presenting to a guy who people were crying because they met me in three years. And I saw the same thing for you over two years because I didn't see you the first time I went. But I remember meeting you the first time because I was like, that's Jessica McCabe. I want to meet Jessica McCabe. She's cool. And I was excited to get to meet you when Eric introduced us. And then the second year, which was the last time it was in person, you were like a celebrity, like a for real legit (laughs) on a much higher level than I was, even though people were crying because they met me. I'm sure you had way more people crying because they met you. There were like lines to talk to you and give you a hug and stuff. And it was both amazing and like, I don't know if scary is the right word, intimidating maybe to see how much you had grown as a presence in the course of a year. What was that like? It was overwhelming for me, for me and Danny. So um, the the last time I went to the one in con or in person was last time there was one in person. And I remember being really overwhelmed because I'm still me. Like to me, I'm still me. I'm still the same person that I was a few years ago. I just know more now and I don't struggle quite as hard with my ADHD, but I'm still the same person. I'm still doing the same work. And to be treated differently was kind of overwhelming because I forgot, like I forgot that that's a thing now. And so I was trying to help out with things like putting pretzels on tables and things like that and realizing it's a lot harder to do that now because there are people that want to come up and, and share their stories about the impact the channel has had. And it's a trip because like, I genuinely feel like a peer with my community. Like everybody that I meet, I'm like, let's go to coffee. Like I want to take everybody out to coffee and just like talk about our experiences. Cause even after five and a half years, I'm still so excited that I'm not alone. I'm still so excited that like other people get it. And I love hearing about everybody's stories and like 
Um, of course, everybody likes to hear the impact that they've had and that the work they do matters, especially when, you know, when you're exhausted and overwhelmed and like <laughs> on your like 70th hour of work that week going, why did I do this to myself? I could have chosen a much easier career. It's nice to hear about the impact. It's nice to know you're making a difference, but it got actually overwhelming. And I was um, at one point trying to get through uh, the convention hall with Danny Donovan and we were just trying to get back to a room and we were so overwhelmed. We were like trying to speed walk to like the there. I think there was like a quiet room, but we got there and there wasn't any place for us to sit. And so we were trying to get back to a hotel room. So we were like speed walking through the convention and somebody grabs my backpack and like scared the crap out of me. And so I realized like we all have limits actually. And so while I would love to sit down with everybody and have coffee with them, I still can only actually have conversations with so many people before it's emotionally overwhelming for me. Cause I, I, I'm still a human, um, I guess. I don't know if that, if that makes sense, but it, it mostly, I just forget. I forget because I don't feel like I'm any better than anybody. I just put out content that has helped people. And so a lot of people know me it's, it's called a parasocial relationship. A lot of people know me and feel like they really are close to me, but I haven't met them yet. And so for all of these people, I'm one person, but for me, it's like, there's, you know, there's hundreds or thousands of people that I'm reaching and I forget that I can't just hang out anymore. <laughs> like, and I still try to, I will still try to, I'll still at these conventions, I'll still have floor parties and just want to hang out. Cause that's really what it is. Like, I just want to hang out and I just want to like talk to people and connect the same way that I got to, you know, the first year or the second year. Um, I don't know if that made any sense. No, it does. Cause I, I experienced that on a smaller scale, right? Like I, one of the people who cried because she met me, we were on an elevator together and it was just me and her. And all of a sudden she's like, you're Brendan Mahan. I'm like, yeah. Cause I like branded stuff on with the ADHD essentials podcast logo and all. And she just starts crying and telling me her story, which is great. Like, I love that stuff. Right. And I'm immediately going, no, 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 no. I'm not a big deal. Like <laughs> I'm just a dude in his basement with a microphone and a podcast. Like that's it. I'm literally in my basement right now. That's where my office is. And, and I don't think of myself as significant. I, I, I'm aware that I'm helping people like, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that that makes me a cool kid or anything any more than I use the word cool kid sarcastically all the time. Cause I wasn't in high school. I was going to say, is it like that for you too? Cause for me, part of it, part of the overwhelm is I got used to being ostracized. I got used to being on the outside and not being the person, not being the kid who got invited to birthday parties, not being the kid that people wanted to hang around. So it's almost confusing to me. <laughs> like when people are like, I want to be your friend. I'm like, really? Why? <laughs> Cause it, those core beliefs have already formed. And God, that was another thing that I learned doing the channel is just, I really didn't used to take my ADHD seriously. I did not think it was a big deal. I thought maybe other people's struggles were a big deal, but like not mine. Like I was just quirky, you know, and um, I just got distracted sometimes. I just lost things sometimes. I just was impulsive sometimes. I just, you know, spent money I didn't have. But the long term impact of those things is so significant. And I didn't realize that. I actually just finished writing and shooting an episode on ADHD and women. And we're less likely to be referred for diagnosis. We are less likely to be uh, given an ADHD diagnosis, even if we have ADHD, once we get into the doctor's office. And even if we are diagnosed, we're less likely to be treated with stimulant medication than a boy would be. That one I didn't know. Yeah, that surprised me, but I kind of, it kind of makes sense now. I was talking to my research team about it and they were like, well, if parents are concerned about medicating their child because there's still a lot of med shame 
and their kids running around the classroom hitting kids, they might be a little bit more like, I don't want to, but like, what else are we going to do? We have to try something right. Versus their kid who's just staring at the window and struggling to do homework. Maybe they wouldn't be as willing to treat that kid with stimulant medication. And in the moment, there might be more obvious consequences to the more rowdy kid, you know, the the behavioral issue, the kid who's struggling in school, there might be more immediate consequences, but long-term effects of ADHD on women are so significant because during that time that you're not treating that kid, they are developing a lot of core beliefs about themselves that show up problematically later. I am not good enough. I am lazy. I am flaky. I am stupid. I am all of these things. By the time our ADHD is recognized and then treated, a lot of times those core beliefs have still formed and I am still undoing that damage. I am still trying to fight the voice in my head that tells me that I'm a fraud and deals with imposter syndrome. I'm still, you know, dealing with self-esteem issues. Like my low self-esteem might, I mean, it was terrible. Like I felt so bad about myself that I would walk into a room and immediately assume that everybody else there was better than me just immediately. Like just as a default, I've been there. Yeah. So those, those self-esteem issues and that set me up for some really abusive relationships, both personally and professionally. I let people treat me terribly because their view of me matched my view of me. And I'm still undoing that damage purely statistically, like eating disorders, self-medicating, which can lead to addiction you know, eating disorders or just disordered eating in general. Like I was trying to diet for like 10 years and doing it in a really unhealthy way and, and, you know, dieting and binging and dieting and binging. Um, I developed anxiety, which is really common for, for women who, you know, secondary anxiety and depression. That's really common for women who go untreated, uh, risky sexual behavior, which can lead to UTIs and unplanned pregnancies. The divorce rates are high. Like there's just so many consequences that happen long-term if we don't get the support that we need early on. And so many of those I'm realizing have to do with those essentially dysfunctional core beliefs. Like if you don't understand why you're struggling, then you accept the answers that other people give you. You accept that it's because you're not trying hard enough because how are you supposed to know? That's what everybody's telling you, right? You accept those things. That was the message I got. I kept hearing because I'm a I'll roll into a standardized test and like eat it for dinner. Like I crush standardized tests but I was a solid C student. So I'd take these like California achievement tests and stuff in elementary school. And my teachers would come back with, he's really smart. He just doesn't apply himself. Oh yeah. And so I was like, okay, then I guess I don't apply myself. And at some point I just didn't apply myself anymore. Yeah. And that's the thing. And I I think that most people with ADHD really, really are trying until they get to the point where they're so frustrated that they don't because now you've just accepted this about yourself. Like you've been told for so long that you are the bad student or that you don't apply yourself, that you're like, okay, I guess that's who I am then. And then your behavior matches that. So things like that. Yeah. I mean, it has such a significant impact. And it can, it can be even sneakier than that, right? Like there's that oppositionality kind of in the way you're describing it of like, okay, then I guess I won't try anymore. Right. For me, it was people pleasing almost it, which is sneakier. Right. Cause I was like, oh, well, if I don't apply myself, then if that's what you're saying, I guess that's what I'll do. Like it, there was no oppositionality to it. It was totally like, all right, cool. You know more than I do. You're the teacher. So I guess I just won't apply myself because I'm not supposed to because you said so. That's so interesting. So your people pleasing showed up as like, okay, I'm going to agree with you then because like you must be right. Uh-huh. Interesting. Huh. And I don't, it wasn't overt. It wasn't like I was actually consciously thinking this. It was more like sneaky. It was subtler than that. It was like, I just sort of 
tried less and tried less and tried less. And that was happening at the same time that I was advancing in the school years where you have to try more and try more and try more. Right. Like, cause it was around middle school when that stuff started to really cinch in, which is when everything gets harder. Yeah. And middle school is when I actually got diagnosed. And, um, one of the other things I learned doing the channel and doing this recent episode is that hormones have a huge impact on ADHD. And, you know, when those of us who menstruate go through big hormonal transitions, like during puberty and, you know, at certain times in our cycle and during pregnancy and menopause and all that, like it affects our ADHD in really predictable ways, but a lot of doctors don't know that. So the first doctor I went to when I was 12 told me I didn't have ADHD. I couldn't have ADHD because I had done well in elementary school, not factoring in that I a was gifted. I was twice exceptional. Um, meaning I had, you know, I had ADHD and I was smart, but also that like my hormones and the, the massive shift in executive function expectations in middle school were kind of this perfect storm. And I was going through some trauma at the time too, which exacerbated my ADHD symptoms between the three of those things, like the stuff I was able to hide before and mask before and pretend I wasn't struggling, even though, you know, I still came home without my jacket. I still got spacey and like was called things like space cadet at school. My mom had nicknamed, I, I, I had this nickname, messy Jesse. And I was like, I talked to my mom about it a few years ago. Like, where did that nickname come from? Who nicknamed, who nicknamed me that? Like, that was kind of hurtful. And she goes, Oh, I did. Like my mom gave me that nickname at five years old. So like the signs were there, but it was not obviously problematic until I was 12. And I was suddenly like rage quitting conversations, just getting pissy at everybody and everything was unfair. I was just angry all the time. And I was trying to manage myself on an executive function level that was way beyond what I was capable of at the time. I couldn't remember my locker combinations on a regular basis. Not that the locker combination changed, just I couldn't remember it. I couldn't remember to bring my keys with me. So I would get home from school and be locked out. And I don't know how many times I had to like break into my own house because I forgot the keys or I couldn't remember to bring whatever books I needed to class. It was just, it was so difficult for me that I started obviously struggling. Well, I went and I, my mom, thankfully to that doctor was like, thank you for your opinion. We, we would like a second opinion. I'd like to talk to an expert on this. And so we, we went to another doctor. I think we went to a neurologist and eventually a psychiatrist. And we, we ended up going through a bunch of testing and all of these things to rule out other stuff. And turns out, yeah, I did have ADHD and I was put on stimulant medication because my mom's like, well, let's try it. You know, I'll monitor it closely. Her doctor will monitor it closely. If it's not working or if there are any issues, like I'll take her off of it. But I did really well. Like my GPA went up a full point without me even trying to do anything differently, but take those meds. And that was so powerful. But then after that, it was like, I was successful at stuff a lot more easily. And so I understood that it wasn't about the effort. It was about whatever was going on in my brain. Like things, things were just easier. It was really like putting on glasses for the first time and realizing I can focus, like I can see without squinting. Like I don't have to try as hard to accomplish the same things. So that was really great. And the interesting thing is my terrible self-esteem seems to be only about things that I actually experienced when I was a kid, because my dating life, like I know I'm a good girlfriend. I know that I'm good at giving massages, like touch. I know that I'm good at things that I, that I experienced after I took the medication, but anything I experienced beforehand, no. And that includes things like I didn't do yoga when I was a kid. I do yoga now, but I did do plenty of like gymnastics and, you know, kickball and stuff like that. And I learned really young. Like I 
I'm clumsy and I'm not good at sports. I am not good at this stuff. And so to this day, like if I go into yoga class, I'm expecting to fall over. I'm expecting to not be good at this. And I've accepted that. But like, if I had gotten the support that I needed sooner, maybe I wouldn't feel that way. I don't know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. My sort of overarching theme is you're not quite good enough and you're not really accepted. Yeah. Kind of my two. And it it's all middle school. It's all middle school and, and elementary school. And some of that is I moved. I moved between fourth grade and fifth grade. So I have this weird, like if you ask me about my childhood, I'm going to talk about New Jersey. But if you ask me where I grew up, I would say Chelmsford, Mass, which is weird because New Jersey came first. Hmm. Like I grew up in New Jersey until fourth grade, playing in the woods, had a bunch of friends, was voted vice president of my class, all that stuff. And then I moved to Massachusetts and everything got torn out from underneath me. And I think critically, I moved between fourth and fifth grade. So I went to an elementary school for one year and then all of the social stuff got pulled out from underneath me again because I went into a middle school with like five other schools and had to make all new friends because none of the kids I knew from elementary school were in my class in middle school. And that's so hard, right? When you also have a condition that makes it hard to fit in in the first place. Yeah. And I, I did that too. Like between seventh and eighth grade, I went completely from a private school to uh, some of the trauma was my mom got in a really bad car accident with a drunk driver and nobody had insurance. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. My mom's friend was driving, didn't have insurance. The drunk driver didn't have insurance. And so suddenly we couldn't afford this school anymore. So, you know, suddenly my mom's in a hospital bed. I'm in a different school, like having to make all new friends. And I remember for a second being excited because I could make new friends and kind of reinvent myself, but I didn't fit in at the new school either. That was pretty clear, pretty fast, but yeah, just having to completely uproot your life and deal with all new executive function challenges. It's it's so hard. And that's a lot of times when people realize that they're struggling or re- recognize their ADHD, especially if, that, if they have that more internalized presentation of ADHD where they were able to mask before. It's kind of when things get to the point. And so for some people that may have been during COVID where they're like, I can't manage. This is more than I can handle because before then it's all the coping strategies that they developed in their anxiety and their Uh, I don't know, whatever they were using to cope before was enough to be able to handle it. But then just something breaks at some point and you're just like, I I can't, like now I need help. I've learned so much about myself from COVID. I think the biggest thing on my end was my ability to regulate and manage my emotions and avoid being overwhelmed. Because I literally haven't had a break since COVID hit. Like my kids have gone to my sister's twice But when they went to my sister's, it was like, oh, Amy and I can get some time together, which seemed like a really good thought at the time. But that means I still didn't get any time to myself because my wife was home with me, which I don't I'm not complaining like I love her. But but the way I work is if there's another person in the house, there's a tendril of attention going to that person. And I'm worried. Am I pleasing them? Right. That people pleasing piece (laughs) of me. I'm like. Are they okay? Are they doing anything? Do they need anything from me? Is it okay if I walk by them and don't say hello? Can I go sit in this room by myself because you need to be by myself, but there's someone else in the house? Is it weird if I'm not with them? Like all of those kind of things. And so I haven't had a break and I've learned that I need that. I've learned where my sensitivities are, what's difficult for me. And I've, I've had to maintain my balance oftentimes when I really couldn't. And I've had to except that I'm not as balanced as I thought that I was because <laughs> I could, I don't know if it was masking or just, I got more breaks. And so I could be balanced when people were around and when people weren't around, I could stop and be like, I'm fried and overwhelmed. But now my whole family sees that if it happens. So it's been, it's been wild in terms of COVID. How is, how has that played out for you? 
Well, I realized how much I actually, even as an introvert, do need touch and human connection because I spent COVID um, with, with somebody who's a good friend now, who was a good friend before we started dating that I was dating at the time and has autism. So he's autistic. He also has alexithymia, which means, um, he has trouble identifying what his, what he's feeling. He has trouble identifying what other people are feeling, both in terms of emotions and things like, you know, am I hungry? Like, do I need food right now? And it, he, his processing is so different from mine that I need more input and more stimulation and he actually needs less. And so that was really challenging because I ended up feeling really lonely during COVID. And right now I have somebody visiting and they don't have autism. They have ADHD and are just as much of a verbal processor as I am, or just as hyper as I am and um, impulsive. And so I actually got to experience what it must've been like for the person that I've been living or that I was living with for during COVID where I hit the point where I was like, she's still talking and I can't like, I need to be done listening. Like I, I need her to stop talking because I am overwhelmed. I have been processing everything that she's saying. And I'm exhausted because I have that same, like wanting to take care of people thing. Right. Like I want to, I want to support her, but like, I have nothing left and like, I need to not. And then I I told her, and thankfully we were able to have that conversation of like, I'm at my limit. I don't want to be at my limit. I would love to keep hanging out with you. You're really cool, but I can't like, I just can't right now. I need to recharge. And she was like, okay. Like, and she went and did her own thing, came back up for a little bit. And she's like, you want to see something cool? And I was like, yeah. And she shows me a panda. Um, she shows me this stuffed panda animal and like explains how, um, she gave it to this, this woman who, and she starts telling me this woman's story and it's like, she's sick and, you know, was diagnosed with stage four cancer and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I just was like in the middle of this conversation, I just started like putting my hands up and like shaking them in front of me. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't, like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I felt like I just broke. I'm just like, I, I can't take in any more input right now. And I, I think that COVID taught us all of us, I think a lot about our limits and our needs, because some of us got a lot more than of whatever, you know, whether that was having the kids around or whatever, some of us got a lot more than we're used to, or some of us got a lot less social connection and everything than we're used to. And it kind of, I know it taught me a lot about what I need and where my limits are, both in terms of not getting the thing that I need and getting too much of it, I guess. I'm going to circle back to the first thing you said, or nearly the first thing you said, because it, it struck home with me when you said it which is that you started the channel because you needed a place where you could find the stuff that you were going to be sharing, right? And so you picked YouTube because you were like, I can always go back to YouTube and find the thing that I talked about. How much of that is a, the nature of like sort of place to store information? And how much of that was, and I don't, I don't want to be putting words in your mouth or making assumptions here. I'm basing this on myself and other people I know who have ADHD. But I'm, I'm curious to know how much of the YouTube thing was almost needing to have a purpose for what you're learning and what you're recording and finding that purpose in having an audience. I think that's what helped me sustain it for sure. Because I, I really at first did want to put it where I could actually find it again, because I it, it came out of this frustration that every once in a while I would come across an article or a book or whatever, and then they would say something about ADHD and something about something that we struggle with. And so there was some sort of strategy involved and it would be useful for me for like a week and then I would forget about it. And then by the time I was ready to go back and try it again, I had lost it. And so it really did start out as just 
I don't want to keep doing the same work over and over again and get nowhere. I was so frustrated with putting so much effort into everything that I did. And because I lost it or forgot about it or didn't have the bandwidth to keep up with it while also doing 500 other things, that all of that work went to waste. It was just gone. And it was like that with relationships. If I put all this energy into a relationship and then we broke up, well, that, okay, now like all of that effort is wasted um, is how I thought about it at the time. Or like I, I put all of this effort into a new job and then I get fired. And then like, what was that all for? And now I understand, like you still learn, you still grow, you still learn things about yourself and what you want and set boundaries and all of that. But at the time, it just felt like I was pouring energy into things that never panned out. And I was just tired of it. I was tired. It, it felt like I was essentially doing the equivalent of like flushing money down a toilet. It was so much effort and so much energy I put into everything that I did. And the payoff was just really terrible. Generally speaking, the amount of effort I was putting in compared to like the return on my investment was just awful. And so I just didn't want to keep putting energy into trying to do things and learning things that then I would immediately forget or lose. But I decided to make it public because I saw, um, I think there was one video by, by somebody called just Jen, who I saw her video and she had just explained something about the ADHD brain that her psychiatrist explained to her that other people have kind of a door in their brain where like they can shut the door and like not let things in. But like for somebody with ADHD, that door is just always open. So you are always getting, you know, essentially people coming, coming into your office. <laughs> and the way that she explained it was just so well, obviously like, and so self-accepting. And then the comments were so people were really moved by what she had said. And it made me go, okay, well, maybe it's not just me that needs this. Like maybe let me make it public in case it's helpful for anybody else. And it was. And the, the fact that I started getting comments from other people and it started resonating with other people made me go, okay, like this is important, not just for me, but for other people too. And so then the people pleasing kicked in. And so I was able to keep going with it in a way that I might not have done if it were just for me. So it definitely helped with the motivation and sustaining the motivation. And somebody, somebody like six months in was like, you can't possibly have ADHD. You've posted a video every week for the last six months. And I'm like, oh, but I do like, it's urgent. It's a personal interest. It allows me to tap into my people pleasing because I'm helping other people. Like I, there's a reason I can stick to this and I've never been able to stick to anything else. But at the time, like we have so much self-doubt. I was like, maybe I don't have ADHD. Like maybe they're right. And I swear every time I go to a doctor, I'm like, maybe they're, maybe this is going to be the doctor. That's like, you don't actually have ADHD. You're just like, it's just you. Like, you're just a terrible human. Um, you just suck at adulting. And like, this isn't ADHD at all. Have you ever had someone describe their ADHD? And there's a piece of it or a big chunk of it that is so different from your ADHD that you're like, what if I'm wrong? Like you have ADHD. Maybe I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's so funny that we have imposter syndrome about everything to the point where we're like, we have imposter syndrome about like whether or not we actually have ADHD. And there are so many people in my comment section that are like afraid to go to the doctor or on their way to the doctor going, what if I'm just lazy? What if this is just me that I'm like, this should actually be part of the diagnostic criteria. Like on your way here, did you have the thought, what if I'm just lazy? Cause like, I just hear it so often, but yeah, the, the self-doubt and it's just, we have these invisible struggles. Right. And so one of the best things for me was getting to see in hard data, in statistics, on paper, that we're not making this up, that this is a legit thing. 
and being able to make those invisible challenges more visible and putting names to them. I think the most important thing that I've done for myself and for other people with the channel um, from the comments that I get is giving people language for, for what they're dealing with. I know that when I'm having a conversation with somebody and I can't remember their name and I've known them for two years, that that's not because I'm stupid. It's a working memory thing. Well, really that's a recall thing, a memory recall issue. But like my working memory is so bad that I get frustrated even just trying to pay a bill because I have to remember a piece of information, then go to another screen or push something on a phone or whatever to go do the thing. And it's so frustrating because I'll immediately forget things. Right. But it's by the time, sometimes people get to the end of their sentence, I've forgotten the beginning of that sentence. And I used to feel so stupid. And I understand like that has nothing to do with intelligence. It's we have a limited number of working memory slots. We have limited Ram, essentially. It's not even that our memory is bad. It's just, you can't remember things that you weren't paying attention to in the first place. And we have a limited number of slots for attending to things and a lot that's competing for our attention. And sometimes people will talk to us. My wife does this a lot. She doesn't give me any preamble. She just walks up to me and launches into whatever it is she wants to say. (laughs) And so it takes me a sentence and a half to even be tuned into what she's saying. And then I actually do have to kind of, yeah, I have to collect what it was that she said and then figure out what's going on. Yeah. Cause you're trying to hold on to all these pieces. Right. And if our working memory for a limited number of slots, like it's like having a limited number of hands, right? Like you're trying to hold these individual pieces. But what I tell people is I need context first. Like I need a hook to hang it on because now if you have a hook to hang it on now, all of those pieces can go into that one slot. So if you tell me this is a story about like how my you know, best friend hurt me. Okay. Now I have a hook to hang it on and all of those pieces I can put into that box. Essentially. Um, I'm using mixed metaphors here, but whatever. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, if somebody gives me a bunch of pieces of random information. I don't know where to put those pieces. And so I'm trying to hold them and I'm going to lose them. And on top of that, I, I, I did an episode. I don't know if it came out yet on working memory, explaining how a lot of the time those with ADHD not only have more limited working memory, but we're also using up some of our working memory slots with things like sit still, don't talk, you know, make eye contact or whatever, like things we're having to hold things in our head that are things that we know will be corrected for if we don't remember to do. And even I have to remember to do this thing next. Oh God. Yeah. Like this person is telling me whatever they're telling me, but when they're done telling me this, I have to remember to pee, check my email whatever it is, right? Like make a sandwich. And if I forget that, I'm going to forget that. I'm not going to like do my homework because my friend asked me if I wanted to go to a baseball game. (laughs) Yeah. And so I had the conversation about the baseball game and totally forgot about my homework. Yeah. So much of what we do is on manual mode, like where other people might do it more subconsciously or unconsciously. Like we have to actively think about, okay, what did I just do? Where did I put my jacket? What am I doing next? There's a lot we have to be aware of that other people might not have to to the same degree. I want to circle back to something because we've talked about imposter syndrome. We've talked about low self-esteem and feeling like we're not good enough. And you mentioned that having statistics helped you like understand what's going on with ADHD and how it works. And so I want to circle back to the fact that you have 678,000 subscribers to your YouTube channel. Do I really now? Holy cow. That's what it says. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Cool. (laughs) And I'm wondering how does that statistic and the work you've done and all of your experience with this channel, how does that affect the imposter syndrome and the feeling like you're not good enough and the self-esteem? 
So it's really, it's validating. Um, it's really, really validating. And I have gotten to the point where I've overcome some of my imposter syndrome on the channel um, enough that I can start to do some content that's unscripted because for a long time, having a script that I had researchers read and other mental health professionals and that I ran by, you know, my, my post-production team and everything, there were enough eyes on it that I was like, okay, I guess this is okay. Like we could put this out into the world, but now I'm dealing with a whole other level of imposter syndrome because now I'm having to expose myself and it's progress, right? It's progress that I'm able to do unscripted content now where I'm doing a vlog and I'm just talking about stuff or I'm coming on your podcast without a script and just talking. But every time I get to that next level, I deal with it again. So now I'm like, okay, I trust myself enough and I'm getting enough validation that I'm like, maybe it's okay that I'm here and maybe I don't have to do 5,000 things to make sure that nobody finds out I'm a fraud. Like maybe I don't have to script everything and run everything by every researcher ever, but I still do need a little bit of protection. So even though I've got these unscripted blogs now, I'm still like, Hey, my research team, like, can you look at this and just make sure that I'm not saying anything like completely wrong? Like, I'm still so afraid that I'm going to mess up. I'm still so afraid that I'm not good enough to be doing what I'm doing. And there's some extra pressure from knowing how many people are watching and listening, because if I'm getting it wrong and I'm getting it wrong for almost 700,000 people, that's, that's more significant than if I was only getting it wrong for like 10. Right. And so it puts on an additional level of pressure a little bit. And I'm also having to do things like manage a team now. And so I'm dealing with the imposter syndrome of who let me be CEO of a company. This was, a, I was just trying to put some stuff on YouTube. Like, I don't know what I'm doing just like every day. I don't know what I'm doing. And like, I'm not sure that somebody should have let me do this, but you fight through it because it's important. Like somebody's got to do this work. And like the best thing I saw, somebody shared um, a tweet with me where somebody's like, when my imposter syndrome tells me you shouldn't be here, I go, well, I'm here and I'm going to make the most of it. Nice. And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just like, well, I am doing this work and I can help people. So I'm going to, I'm just going to do the best that I can. And yeah, then there's going to be a voice in the back of my head. Sometimes it tells me that I shouldn't be doing this or that I can't do this, or I'm going to fail, or I'm not good enough, or somebody else should really be doing this. Like somebody who actually knows what they're doing, but like, I don't know, like connecting with other ADHD experts is helpful because I'm like, oh, everybody's got amazing things to offer and everybody has gaps in their knowledge. And that's, that's not just me, I guess. Have you had the chance to sit back and be proud of yourself yet? <laughs> well, that, see, that's the thing. Imposter syndrome, like kind of tells you like, you don't really deserve to be here. So like, as soon as you accomplish anything, you can be happy for like 0.2 seconds. And then you have to keep trying because like, otherwise that sense of like, oh, I do, did do something pretty cool. And I do belong here. Like will immediately, <laughs> immediately slip away. So it's hard for me to do that. I'm trying to learn how and I'm trying to stop and acknowledge achievements in a way that because it's sneaky, right? Like it, for a while, I would acknowledge achievements by doing something else. Like we hit 400,000 subscribers. Let's do an epic episode on something or whatever, like where it's not actually you getting to enjoy it. It's you going, okay, let me do something else to prove that I deserve this. Or like, maybe, I don't know. It's, it's so insidious like that. I feel like, I feel like so many of us with ADHD just can't have this perpetual feeling that we're not enough. And that we have to make up for the fact that we have ADHD in the first place. Yeah. That's why I'm asking this question, right? Is because I'm your friend and I'm proud of you. I think you're amazing. 
I, I'm not just your friend. I'm honored to be your friend. I, I can't say that about everybody that I know. I can't say that everybody that I know is like, it's an honor for me to know them, but it's an honor for me to know you. Like I am, I am a better person for being connected to you. You've made changes in my life and we don't, we see each other like once a year, like, but, <laughs> but still it's th- those YouTube videos with the wall of awful. Those are a big deal. And those have spread my message much wider than I would have on my own. And, and they've helped us so much too. My, there are so many people in my community that really are just so profoundly touched by that and validated by the fact that this wall of awful, you made it real for them. You, you made one of the most insidious, invisible struggles for us, real and tangible in a way that like they, you know, again, used to just think was their fault and understanding that there's a difference between actively avoiding something and distracting yourself while you kind of work up to it. It's just, it's so powerful. Thank you. But I'm not going to let you deflect because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm talking about how great you are. So too bad. Um. <laughs> oh, that was well done. All right. Good job. <laughs> because I, I do this on occasion. I will stop and go, oh, wow. Right. Like, and I was, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I was recently quoted in the Washington Post because my friend Jessica connected me to a person in the the Washington Post. (laughs) And I like, it's my Facebook feed is like, yay, Brendan. And I'm like, Jessica's the reason that happened. Oh, so now who's deflecting? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. But, but also the other thing that I did is I sat back and I thought about, because like a couple people who liked that post are people who, when I was talking about, I'm going to be an ADHD professional and like start a podcast and all this stuff were sort of looking at me like, uh-huh. I'm uh, sure you are. Uh-huh. That's yeah. <laughs> That's nice. You're making me uncomfortable with your pipe dream, right? Like that thing. <laughs> but now I'm in the Washington post and like the podcast is coming up on 200 episodes and those sorts of things, right? Like, unless I save this one for 200, in which case it's not coming up, it's there. <laughs> I like that. I like that you don't know yet. And also, I kind of feel like the world is built on ADHD pipe dreams. Like, uh-huh. how many innovations are we responsible for where everybody else was like, what are you doing? Like, why do you think that's a good idea? And we're like, I don't know. I'm going to do it. Sounds fun. <laughs> and so I, I would love it if you had that opportunity to think back on like people who are like, not even doubting you. We're just like, OK, and the and you don't have to do it now. I'm just saying like big picture. That's part of how you get past imposter syndrome is you go, oh, but I kind of kick a lot of ass. Like I'm sort of amazing. And one of the ways that I'm able to do that, and I don't know if this is helpful or not, but as ADHD people, we are more than willing to own our faults. And we've been talking about that for the entire hour now. We're more than willing to own our faults. And it's only fair that we also own our strengths. If we're going to own why we suck, we should own why we're amazing. There is something that helped me do that. Um, Gallup Strengths Finder was, I think, I think the first time I was really able to own my strengths. And it was because it was this, you know, scientifically validated survey to like figure out what your strengths are, right? Like all this ADHD stuff, all these, you know, <laughs> the Connors rating scale and all that, that's to determine like how much your brain sucks. Like it's, it's to determine like how much you struggle, what your impairments are. <laughs> um, and like, I, not that I would trade my ADHD brain for the world, but that's what it is. It's like, okay, your brain sucks at this. Also this, also this, like, this is where you struggle. Gallup strengths finder was the first thing where it's like, here's what you're good at. And it helped me so much. Cause now I actually do lean into that. And I, I know that my strengths are ideation thinking about these big concepts. I know that it's intellection, like 
I, I like to learn. I know that it's futuristic. Like I have a strong vision for the future. I'm not great at like how to get there per se, but like, I can, I can envision the future and I, and I'm like, let's go. And I'm a good activator. So I'm like able to encourage other people and inspire other people to take action. And then I just also need to find somebody who's like, okay, but like, we should go get the car, you know, and I'm just like, that's amazing. Let's go. And I'm like running. They're like, yeah, but like, it would be faster (laughs) if we took the car. Like, I'm not good at that, but there are things that I'm really good at. And that, that actually helped a lot because I think one of the reasons is we take the things that we're good at for granted because they're not the things that society tells us we need to be good at. Whereas things like keeping your car clean or remembering to do laundry or send Christmas cards, these are all things that are like socially prescribed of like this, you know, you must be this tall to like be an adult. Like you must, like you must be this tall to ride this ride. You must be this good at functioning to be considered a responsible adult. And those tend to be the things that we struggle at. Whereas the things that we're really good at tend to be kind of intangible. They tend to be that creativity, that divergent thinking, that outside the box uh, thinking that problem solving that, I don't know, even people pleasing can be a strength in some ways, as long as we have good boundaries around it. But the things that we're good at are not things that society tells us we have to be good at. So it's hard to really value them when we're failing at society's like baseline expectations. And even more so on the strengths you just shared. So activation, the future vision, learning, getting a big picture, all of that stuff. Those are the strengths that change the world. And the message for us ADHD folks that we get a lot is how can you possibly change the world? You can't clean your car. Yeah. The next time you hear someone say that to you, you're allowed to say, I know that I can change the world because I did. Ooh. Because you have. That made me cry. Ah, yeah. And I think that's what held me back for so long was feeling like I had to figure out this basic adulting stuff before I could do anything impressive. And that just wasn't true. Cause you know what? My car's still a mess and me putting so much energy into, into checking those boxes and fitting into that and, and hitting these baseline, like this is what it means to be an adult or be responsible, be successful, trying to hit those boxes that I, that were the very things that I struggle with kept me from taking advantage of my strengths. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I went, you know, what? screw that. Like, I'm not going to worry about what my house looks like right now. I'm going to do this that I actually started getting somewhere, that I, that I started succeeding. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? There's just a lot of value in learning how your brain works. Any piece of equipment that we work with, I mean, as much as we hate to read the instructions, if we understand how to work with the piece of equipment that we're working with, we're going to do a better job. <laughs> we're going to do it more effectively. And our brain is a piece of equipment that we work with every single day. And so I just think it's incredibly critical to understand how it works so that we can work with it, not against it. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website ADHDessentials.com and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.